to have and to hold. Key words in a spiritual covenant that you make with God and with the person that you marry. We, met, we referenced last week that this is much more than some legal agreement that you enter into, but it's making a covenant with holy God and with the person that you've been led to marry and in front of witnesses. A couple of weeks ago, we did a message on singleness, and right now we're in a series of five messages on marriage, and this is number two today. And it's, it's primarily aimed, but really it can be applicable in, in of wide parts of life. You'll hear that as we go through, but it's primarily aimed at those that are, are dating or thinking about dating or, and getting married one day or those that are already married. And in this series, I'm inviting us to make five commitments, one each week, that I think will allow us to set a really healthy foundation for a strong Uh, vibrant marriage. So last week we talked about uh, one and then two. And I I said, you know, sometimes people will come up to us and say, I'm quite excited because I think I've found the one. And my idea last week was I'm just longing for the day when someone will come up to me and say, Scott, I'm really excited because I think I've found my two. And the idea is is that in Scripture, in order to have that healthy relationship, God has to be first. And that this is not a, this is the best environment, let me put it that way, the best environment when he's first and our spouse is second in our life to, to have the building blocks in place to have a great relationship. We talked about a number of things that we can do to cultivate that, but re- very briefly, we, but we really focused on one thing. We said couples that pray together regularly are developing this very healthy habit that will allow them to have a great relationship. And so we talked a little bit more extensively about praying together regularly. Next week, we're going to talk about having fun together as a couple. The week after that, in week number four, we're going to talk about staying pure. In the last week, we're going to talk about never giving up. And so before we consider today's message, number two of five, let me pray with you together for a couple of minutes. Father, how grateful we are for your word because we do believe it's just deeply practical. We believe that when we're open to the spirit of God speaking to us through your word, you come and you you give direction, you give encouragement, you give challenge, you give discipline when we need it, whatever it is. And so if I may, Lord, I'm just going to pray boldly on behalf of the group here that, that each of us individually would have an openness to you working in our life. That it would be much more than some kind of an information download, but it would be personalized, that it would become applicable, that it, that it would be something that gives honor to you and really lifts our life. And so we invite you to do this. We pray that you will do this, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So if you're here today, and you're dating someone, or maybe you're engaged, or maybe you're married, 
Um, or if you're just out doing life and in your relationships with people, let me ask you this question. What is your goal when you have a fight? Because when we're in human relationships, there's disagreements. And there's even, we'll use the word fights at times. What is your goal when you head into a disagreement with someone, a strong disagreement, or even a fight? Let me take a couple minutes to talk to you about the difference between boxing and sparring, at least as I understand it. In boxing, you're put into this ring, and it's an openly adversarial environment. The goal in boxing is to win. The goal in boxing is to hit someone in such a way that they fall down. The goal in boxing is to hit them in such a way that they don't get back up, at least until the referee counts them out. The goal in boxing, actually, many of them will have this goal, to knock that person out. And when you're done and you've triumphed over them, the goal in boxing is to celebrate in a way that says, I have won and you have lost. And there's a picture on the screen right behind me that, there, and it's an iconic picture from the 1960s of Muhammad Ali, and probably we've all seen it. Um, yeah, there we go. There comes the picture. Uh, I thought it was there anyway. Iconic picture of Muhammad Ali from the 1960s where he's triumphed. I think it's over Sonny Lister. And he's taunting him, and he's saying, I have won, and you have lost. And see, some people in relationships, this is how they fight. They want to rub the other person's nose in it. They want to have the idea come across, I have won and you have lost. And that picture really says it all. Sparring is quite different than that. In sparring, the focus isn't on winning and losing per se. The focus is on trying to get better. The focus is on trying to improve my technique and my skill levels. The focus is on uh, trying to get into healthy physical shape. And so you wear gloves, you wear helmets, there's protocols put in place because when you're in the ring sparring, you're not trying to hurt the other person. You're trying to get better. And so I put another picture on the screen, and I think this is a healthy image of what sparring is like, where you're trying to get better, you're in it together, you're working together, and you're trying to be mutually beneficial. So let me ask you this question. If you're in that relationship at work with people that you work with, or you're dating someone, or engaged, or married, in married, you're married already. The question is, boxing or sparring? When you have that disagreement with that person, and you're going to have them, boxing or sparring? You know, once in a while, believe it or not, Debbie and I have a fight. And sometimes it's over the silliest thing. In fact, just last week, she came crawling to me in the midst of a disagreement on her hands and knees, and she said, get out from under that bed and fight like a man. <laughs> the reality is, every couple have disagreements. Every couple at times will have a fight. In fact, 
if people come to me for premarital counseling and I discover they've never had a fight, when I, I've probably said this to you before, one of my chief goals is to get them to fight in front of me. Because to have a healthy relationship, you have to know how to disagree in a healthy manner. And so sometimes that's really the nature of disagreements. We need to process an issue. It's very unwise when there's an issue between two people to just let it fester and just hope that it's going to somehow go away because it just gets worse. And then it typically manifests itself in some other way. Or we overreact or we blow up eventually. And avoiding conflict at all costs is a huge mistake. But sometimes we just outright have conflict in unhealthy ways. And at the heart of this is because we're sinners. And that leads us to do sinful things. And when we disagree, we, we hurt one another when we're doing it in that way. Healthy couples learn to disagree in a fair-minded way. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. And they use low blows like in boxing. Healthy couples fight with the goal of resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory, like Mohammed, Ali. I win and you lose in your face. And so what is the commitment? Remember, we're looking at five commitments these five weeks. What is the commitment God is asking of us when it comes to how we disagree and fight? Turn with me in your Bible to the book of James chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses in James. And James is found over to the right in your Bible. If you come to 1 Thessalonians, keep going. Come to Hebrews. It's right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1. And this is just a little five-chapter book written by uh, the half-brother of Jesus, his younger brother, one of his younger siblings. And he is writing to the church And he says to this in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. So in other words, pay attention, okay? Take note of this. You might want to write this down. Think about this stuff. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger, in other words, he's saying the way that we typically lean or react when we get angry... For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so in those two little verses, there's three ideas about how to fight in a healthy way. And so if you're in a disagreement with someone, someone that maybe you love them deeply or you're learning to love them or whatever, and things are escalating, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, take note of this. Perk up your ears in verse 19. He says, listen. Well, that sounds so simple, Scott. He says, listen carefully. Everyone should be quick to listen. When things are escalating, you know, we go, oh, it's so simple, but how do we often react when things are escalating? This is not our typical reaction when we're in a fight with someone and, we're, and things are escalating. Our typical reaction, if we were to look in, in Ephesians chapter 4, is we will typically react by blowing up or clamming up. And so rather than being quick to listen when we're in a disagreement, we're typically quick to speak. We're, quick, we're typically quick to argue back, to 
insist on making our point. We're quick to stop listening when they're talking, and either we're looking away because we want to, you know, offend them by act like we're not really listening, or we're looking at them, but we're not really listening. They're saying and trying to make their point, and we're looking at them, and meanwhile, our mind is swirling as we're building our counter-argument in which we will try to defeat them and crush them in this disagreement. And we wait for them to take a breath, or we just outright interrupt them, and we pounce to try and make our point. Or we're quick, rather than listening, we're quick to throw a low blow. We're quick to be, if this is our nature, passive-aggressive. And try to control the situation by leaving or running away, or acting like we're agreeing, but then really not agreeing deep inside. James says, everybody should take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Not that long ago, I'm ta- texting one of my pastor friends, and Debbie comes along, and she says, I need to talk to you about something important. And on one shoulder, I'm thinking to myself, I really should put my phone down. And on the other shoulder, I'm thinking, I, I can navigate two things at once, because I really need to get this text out. And so I keep texting, and she says, are you listening? And I said, absolutely, I'm listening. And a little while later, she says again, are you listening? And a few moments later, I make the fatal error of asking about something she has just spoken about. You see, when we do stuff like that, we're not valuing that person. We're not valuing the relationship. And this is why James says, you want to value someone that you love? If you want to value someone that you're dating and, and, and you're learning to love or just even someone in the workplace or your neighbor or whatever that you're having a disagreement with, be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. And when we fight, we need to focus and actually hear, and it's a great deal of work if you've ever really done this. It's a lot of work. We want to focus on what the other person is saying. And it says in Proverbs, let me turn over to Proverbs, which is found in the middle of your Bible, um, right, right past the book of Psalms. And it's just 30 chapters of sort of pithy little sayings written by Solomon. And he says this in Proverbs chapter 18. Listen to this. When he's talking about listening and actually hearing what they're saying, he says this in verse 2. He says, a fool... A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. The fool says, I don't care what you're saying. I only care about what I'm thinking and I'm about to educate you on. And they're not trying to understand. We're just trying to be heard because we want to win. Do not let the power of simplicity pass you by. Some of you are sitting here thinking, you don't understand the complexity of my relationships, God. I probably don't. But don't miss the power of simplicity in this. You value someone when you listen. 
Be quick to listen, James says, and you will save yourself so much heartache in your life and in the other person's life if you just do that. So I was privileged in my undergrad and then in grad school later to do a number of counseling courses. And they teach you a number of very helpful things. But one of the things, one of the simplest things and yet most profound things they teach us or they would teach you and, and probably we're all aware of is they said, you know, it's, it's so effective when someone is saying something to you and things are escalating a bit to just repeat back to them what they've said. And it's so simple and yet so effective because it forces us to listen. And, and, and when we say, okay, I, I just, because you're important to me, I just want to make sure I heard what you were saying. So is this what I heard you say? And then just summarize it briefly. And, and it, it forces us to listen. And what it does is it validates that other person. And they go, they really listen. Scott really listened to me. I must matter to him. And you remain focused on the actual issue. Now, this is very important. I'm not saying you have to agree with them, okay? Because you may not agree with them. But at least you've heard them. At least we've said, I value you. I value your feelings. I value your opinions. And then, if you don't agree, then hopefully you're going to get a chance to express yours. You may not, because they may not play ball like you're playing ball. But if you do this one, or if I do this one simple thing, it just bleeds off a lot of the hot air in the room. That's why James says, hey, God tells us everyone should be quick to listen. Then he goes on in, 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 the, latter, in the next part of verse 19 in James chapter 1, and he says, you should also be slow to speak. Slow to speak. And so let, let me read just a couple of chapters later in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. And, and Solomon says this, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Slow to speak. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. So the, the second big idea here is, is guard our words faithfully. And this is an incredible, great val, uh, verse of Scripture. Probably not a great verse to quote to your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend in the midst of an argument, but it's a great verse nonetheless. Guard our words faithfully. And it can be as simple as this, a quick prayer. God, should I say this? Should I say this, God? If you hang out with me for any length of time, I probably bore the people around me, but I will often pray this way. People that know me know I do this a lot. And I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, as I head into whatever it is I'm heading into, help me to know what to say. And and. As important or perhaps more important, help me to know what not to say. And see, I absolutely believe God helps in those kinds of things. He's a very practical God, and he wants to enter into our life. What should I say, and more, as equally important or perhaps even more so, what shouldn't I say? And then further to that, should I say this, Lord, and then should I say this now? 
And so, you, you know, there's, there's this dynamic duel, this couple, and one of them's running out the door, and the other one half yells to them, make sure the dishes are done and clean before you go. And the, the first one running out the door sarcastically responds, well, why? So that the burglar doesn't see our dirty dishes? And we're off and we're fighting. Should it be said now? Should it be said? And should it be said now? Now, things that come up need to be addressed. I referenced this earlier. Um, but sometimes it's not the better part of wisdom when you're dealing with this issue here to bring this up and to bring this up into the midst of the fight you're having over this. And so the better part of wisdom sometimes is just pray and say, Lord, should I bring this up now and complicate this issue or should I wait to bring this up when the temperature in the room has gone down a few degrees? Can I just ask you, do you think you can trust God with these things? See, I absolutely believe you can. I don't do a perfect job of it and I, I, I mess it up frequently. But I, in my heart... I absolutely believe that he can help us very practical, practically with these things so that, that once we've resolved or worked through this, this issue over here, this issue over there, we can work on these things in our relationship, in our dating relationship, in our marriage, during non-conflict times. And so especially when you're married, you can sit down and say, okay, we're in this for life. Like there's no ejection seat here. And so... How can we improve things? Because I don't want to have a stagnant relationship with you. I don't want to regress in my relationship with you. How can we have a better... What, what are one or two things we could do that I could do to improve our relationship? And it just starts to build this very positive momentum when we guard our words. Now, if you're here today and you're, you're dating someone or you're engaged, can I just give you some, just some comments? That, and, and of course, you could use this in marriage as well. Um, just, some, just to say, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to set up some ground rules in our relationship as we're heading into marriage. That I think if you have some of these ground rules in place, not an exhaustive list, you'll have some more things than I'm going to say. But every one of them begins with the word Never. Never say never or always. Never say never or always. You know how when you're in that disagreement with someone and you say, you never do this or you always do that. Is that really true? Is that really ever true? It's probably true one in about 100,000 times or whatever, or 10,000 times, I don't know. But it's rarely true that someone never does this or always does that. And what it does is it's, those are just highly offensive words in a, in a charged situation when it would just be so much better to say, you know, um, I love you. And you do this in private, of course, never in public. I love you. And I've just noticed lately that once in a while, this is happening. And most people, not everybody, but a number of people will much more, be much more amenable to listening to that and dialoguing about that. Rather than, when you say never or always, there, 
the typical human mind, at least my mind anyway, is I'm clicking through and I'm looking for concrete examples in the last six months when I didn't do that. And, I, you know, and then I'm, I'm formulating my arguments to say, oh no, don't you remember back on February 14th when I did this? And, we're, and we miss the point entirely of the discussion when we use those words never or always. Never call someone names. No brainer, right? But you scar that person when you insult them with a mean-spirited name. This isn't on my list. I'm going to throw this one in for free. One of the great things Debbie and I did before we were married is we sort of made this like covenant with each other where we said, we will not humiliate each other in public. We'll have fun. We have fun together. We joke around, but we don't humiliate each other. And we sort of said, if we ever come close to crossing that line, Let's have the courage in private to just own that and identify that right away. To say, you know, I, I said that, you said that thing and it, it was really close to, to shaming me or humiliating me and it hurt. And it's been an awesome thing in our marriage that we have one another's back like that. Never scream at that other person. How often does screaming help? I, I don't know if it ever does. You know, if they're about to get hit by a car, okay, it's okay to scream then. Look out! But after that, I'm not so sure that it really ever helps to scream. I think it actually helps to take a step back, to take some deep breaths, to count to ten, to pray, to sing a song, sing five songs if you have to, but calm down. Calm down. When the volume goes up, you know, to 95 decibels or whatever it is coming out of your lungs, your voice box, not helpful. Never scream. Never get historical. You know, you're, you know, bringing up the past to bash your partner with it. You know, I'm sitting there with the couple and, and the one person, they can't for the life of them remember to bring home a loaf of bread and a, and a gallon of milk or whatever from work. They forget it all the time. But if you were to ask them about that thing that their spouse did to them 14 years ago, they can cite it chapter and verse because they've never really forgiven and they like to bash them with it. Remember when you screwed up 14 years ago? Isn't it cool that God never brings up, when we repent of our sin, he never brings it up again. He hasn't forgotten. God can't forget anything. He's all-knowing. But he never brings it up again when it's been dealt with. So never get historical. Never threaten divorce. That's a low blow, like a low blow. When you, when you give someone a low blow in boxing, the referee will intervene and they will typically subtract a point from each of the, there's three or four judges in boxing, something like that, and they will subtract a point for an improper move, a low blow. When you threaten divorce, that's a low blow. That is deeply hurtful. 
that erodes trust. And anyone that's been married for any length of time knows it's all about trust. And finally, and this might be just the most important one of the whole bunch, when you're in the midst of a big fight, never, ever, ever quote your pastor. You know, Pastor Scott said this. Leave me out of it. I'm probably at home watching the riders win or something. Leave me out of it. Listen carefully. Guard your words faithfully. And then the last part of the verse says, handle our anger righteously. It says in James chapter 1, let me read it again. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become anger angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteousness about the righteous life that God desires then it says I'm going to just turn a few pages to the left here to Ephesians chapter 4 well-known verses 26 and 27 in your anger do not sin do not let the sin go, sun go down do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold in your anger do not sin being angry in and of itself, is not a sin. Actually, it's a gift from God, sent to motivate us to do the right thing. Gets our adrenaline pumping a little bit when we're angry, and God's desire is that it would motivate us to do the right thing. The evil one's desire is that it would motivate us to do the wrong thing. And sadly, we often move in that direction. That's what he's talking about in verse 19 of James chapter 1. Man's kind of anger, the evil one's kind of anger, is to motivate us to the wrong approach, to the hurtful approach, to shift into boxing mode, where I'm going to hit that person until they don't get up off the campus, and I win, and they lose. But Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, listen, in your anger, do not sin. But when there's a deal between you and someone else, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, what he's saying is don't leave unresolved issues unresolved for very long. Now, some people will say, you know, don't, let this, you know, don't ever go to bed while you're still angry. But when you read the text, it, it doesn't really say that, does it? In fact, it doesn't say that. So I would suggest that this is an expression by Paul to say, process issues sooner rather than than later. Don't allow it to begin to fester. And sometimes I'll say to people, listen, if you're really tired and really hungry, that is probably not the wisest time to talk about a complicated disagreement with someone you love. The better part of wisdom, perhaps, is to get something to eat and have a snooze and then discuss it. So that you're fresh and you're thinking clearly. I recognize in the room here, in all the relationships that are here, that there's this whole range of reasons that people disagree. And some of them can be as simple as the couple that were driving here this morning and they had a fight over how they navigated getting to the church. Or some people... Um, that were, you know, in the first, this would never happen in the second service. The people in the first service that went out for brunch, you know, they, they argue over the ordering methodology one of the spouses use in the restaurant and how they order their brunch. 
So pretty, pretty, uh, well, not big issues to argue over. Let me put it that way. And then we start to see more serious issues like that relationship with the in-laws. That's so tricky. How we handle money. How we're going to raise the kids. And then the ones that get even more so, she walks in on him looking at porn. Or he discovers she's having an emotional affair over texting. Or there's violent abuse in the home. And I realize there's just whole range of issues in the room. See, I believe that when we start to make these five commitments, one and then two, we're going to pray together regularly. And then when there's disagreements, we're going to determine with God's help that I'm not going to fight for victory, I'm going to fight for resolution. I'm going to fight loving that person. I'm going to fight fair. I just believe with all my heart that the presence of God can bring healing in any relationship.